to come now by your Holy Spirit and minister to our hearts through the study of your word. Please touch each and every heart, Lord. Let every person here know the grace of God, the truth of God, the love of God, the power of God. And Lord, help us, God, to learn this morning to not miss out on your visitation. That when you come close, when you draw near, when you're in our presence, that we'll acknowledge that and we won't let it slip by like they did on that first Palm Sunday. Lord, we proclaim Hosanna in the highest. You're a mighty God. You rule, you reign in our hearts and lives. And God, I pray that, um, that you'll anoint me with your Holy Spirit as we teach, <clears throat> as I teach, and as the people listen to what your word says. First, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. You may have a seat if you're able. <laughs> we're taking a break from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're looking at Palm Sunday this morning. So please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, looking at the triumphal entry. This is the beginning of what we call Holy Week. And the, the title of my message this morning is Missed Opportunities. Missed Opportunities. Let's take a look at the text and see what the Word says to us this morning. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 says, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village opposite of you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no other has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes and on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen. Verse 38, saying, Blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray that um, we see the full picture of what's taking place here and the application for our lives today. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. So the title of my message this morning is Missed Opportunities. Have you ever had a missed opportunity? Anybody by show of hands, maybe you've had a missed opportunity in life? You know, I had a huge missed opportunity back in the 90s. I could have been in the movies with Harrison Ford. You're like, what? You could have been in the movies with Harrison Ford? Yes, I could have been in the movie in a movie with Harrison Ford. In 1991, I reported to Great Lakes Naval uh, Training Center in Great Lakes, Illinois for basic training. And three weeks into basic training, the, the senior chief called me in the office and he says, uh, Ford, I got an opportunity for you. I want you to consider it. I said, okay. So the next day, these 
these guys came from Washington, D.C., and they interviewed me, and they offered, uh, they offered to me to go and be a part of the honor guard in Washington, D.C., does all the presidential stuff and works at the White House and, and all that stuff and does all those things around Arlington National Cemetery. And they, they offered me uh, to go be a part of the honor guard, and I thought long and hard about it, and I really struggled with the decision because in my heart, I wanted to be on a ship. I wanted to deploy. I wanted to be a part of the fleet. And um, so I struggled with it. And so finally, um, a week later, I went back to my senior chief and I said, I'm going to decline. I'm going to decline. I, I came in to be a machinist mate. I want to be a machinist mate. And I want to go serve in the bottom of a ship in the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Like that makes any sense. <laughs> but I did anyway. So, so I, I, I passed on the position to be with the Honor Guard in Washington, D.C. That was 19, um, that was the spring of 1991. In 1994, late 94, early 95, I was at my friend's house. We were watching the movie uh, Clear and Present Danger. Anybody remember that movie? Clear and Present Danger with Harrison Ford. Well, there's a scene in Clear and Present Danger where um, they're they're at a funeral scene at Arlington National Cemetery. And my buddy from basic training that they interviewed after me, he took the position. His name was Jarvis. Jarvis accepted the position to go to the honor guard and guess who is standing right next to Harrison Ford at this funeral Jarvis and I was like man I could have been right I could have been in the movies with my all-time favorite actor you know Han Solo Indiana Jones but it was a missed opportunity thankfully that was before I came to Christ and that wasn't God's plan that wasn't God's plan because shortly about six months after that I got radically saved but it was a missed opportunity it was, it was a missed opportunity. The Bible teaches us to make the most of every opportunity that we have. We're on the clock. We're living life. You know, we're serving the Lord. And God gives us opportunities along the way, and we have to make the most of every opportunity. Don't be lazy. Don't be lethargic. Don't be sleeping in the dark. Be alive. Be awake. Be spiritually alert. You know, look for the opportunities in life to serve God. Look for the opportunities in life to move forward in your walk with Christ. Make the most of every opportunity. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Every living human being on the face of planet Earth has the opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the big question is, will they? Will they? You know, that's my plea to my friends who are not saved, people that don't know Christ. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Step into this saving relationship with him. Follow his will. Follow his plan for your life. It's perfect. It's perfect, and he will not let you down. It's that beautiful but a lot of people miss out on the opportunity. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The reason we miss opportunities to encounter God and step into his calling for our life, number one, is because we have hard hearts. We have hard hearts. And even the hardened heart can creep into the Christian life when we're not in the word and in prayer and listening to the Spirit 
speaking to our lives. Our hearts can grow cold and hard. We don't open our hearts to his Holy Spirit and we fail to recognize his visitation. Now we're gonna go verse by verse, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. But look down at verse 44 in your Bible. Look down at verse 44. The New, the new King James says, and if you have an NASB, it adds the word they between and and level. But So I'm gonna include the NASB word that's used. And they will level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave you, leave in you one stone upon another. Because what? You did not know the time of your visitation. Friends and family, don't let this be you. Don't let this be you. Understand his visitation. Understand he's given you the opportunity to walk in his freedom, walk in his joy, to trust in him and take advantage of it. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will, Christ's light will shine in you. Don't be asleep in the light. Let's awake and let's open our hearts to the Lord and let's not have a missed opportunity in this life. Give, give him, um, take advantage of every opportunity he gives you you know, sink or swim, jump, jump in. You know, uh, back in the day, you know, I'm, I'm real finicky about swimming and stuff. And we'd go to the pool and, and it's like, you know, let's go for a swim. And the first thing I want to do is I just want to reach over there and kind of put my toes in the water, see how it feels. Don't, don't stick your toes in the water. Just jump in. Just jump in. After that initial shock, you'll be used to it. Okay? So that's, what, that's, that's how it is with things of God. Just jump in, dive into serving him with all your heart. So let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 44. This is what the, the, the word of the Lord says. It says, verse 28, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now this is the statement. You gotta, you, you gotta understand what's taking place when you put all four gospels together and what's taking place. This is the beginning of the Holy Week. This is D-Day. It's T minus five to the crucifixion. It's Passover week. The tensions are mounting. The disciples have high expectations. Lazarus has been raised. Mary has anointed Jesus with that very expensive oil that the disciples criticized her for. The crowds are looking for a sign. The Pharisees are belligerent and they're really upset and they want Jesus dead. This isn't just a Oh, such a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Here we're going to Jerusalem. No, man, the tensions were high. The tensions were high. The, the, it was the, very high. A showdown is forming. A showdown is forming between Jesus versus tradition and religion of the Pharisees and a, a showdown forming between Jesus and the forces of darkness. At the end of this week, Jesus is going to crush Satan. He's going to crush Satan at the power of the cross. He's going to make a way for you and I to be forgiven, to have new life, and to be set free. Okay? So something huge is fixing to happen. And the forces of darkness and religion and tradition and everything else don't like it. They don't like it. So it's, it's, it's coming. He went on ahead, going to Jerusalem, 
going to the city where it's all going to take place. Let's look at verses, I'm going to read verses 39, 29 through 34 all together, and then we'll talk about them. Verse 29 through 34, And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite of you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner said to them, there it is, why are you loosing the colt? And they said to him, the Lord has need of it. So in the midst of this tense situation, this forming in Jerusalem, the first thing that the Lord Jesus Christ does in this situation is he establishes who is in control, okay? He establishes who is in control. And when Jesus came to this world, he did not lose his deity, okay? He was the sovereign, eternal Lord, 100% God, 100% man coming into this world. Uh, and he's showing who is in control. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9, 9 and 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasures. The Lord Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord and creator of the universe, but now he's on earth. And he's wrapped himself in flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. And he's going to Jerusalem. He's exercising. In this passage of going to get the cults and, and what he's doing here, he's exercising his omniscience. And he's exercising his sovereignty. He knows all things and he is in control of all things. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17 says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. And look at the very end of verse 17. There is what? There is nothing too hard for you. You see, God's plan and God's purposes cannot be thwarted. They cannot be altered. Man can try. He can try to take God down. He, he can try to wreck his plans but ultimately, in the end, man will bow his knee to the plans of God. And there's nothing too hard for him. So the Lord Jesus Christ, now, envision this. All the disciples, they're, they're nervous. There's, they're, they had the fluttering heart. Man, something's going on here. We don't know what's happening, but this, something's fixing to happen this week. The Pharisees, they're angry as you know what, and they're wanting to kill Jesus. But the Lord Jesus Christ... Man, he's focused. He's in the zone, and he knows exactly what's going on because he's the sovereign Lord. Let's look at verse 35, continuing the story in, in Luke 19. Verse 35 says, And then they brought him, talking about the cult, to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the cult, and they sat, they set Jesus on him. Now, the first question that comes to my mind when I read this verse, why a cult? You know, if you know anything about ancient history in the ancient world, um, if you want to establish power 
and dominance, you don't come into town on a colt. You come in on a big, white, beautiful stallion horse that just intimidates everybody with all of their decor wrapped around the horse. That's what would have grabbed the people's attention. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes in on a colt. What's the, what's the purpose What's the purpose behind the cult? Think about that for a minute. Why would he come into, why would he come into Jerusalem on a cult? Why not this big white stallion horse establishing his power? I want to give you two reasons why he, why he came in on a cult. Number one was to fulfill prophecy. Number one was to, he came into Jerusalem on a cult to fulfill prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a, the fowl of a donkey. See, this was ultimate purpose why he came into Jerusalem on the colt and not a white stallion horse was it, it was to fulfill the word of God. You see, the Old Testament, they had a picture of Christ. They had a picture of Christ and they saw Jesus as you were through, through a stained glass window. It was a fuzzy picture. It wasn't crystal clear. But they had these prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed to the future Messiah. So in the Old Testament, they were saved just like us by trusting in the Lord. They looked forward to the Messiah. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That is Old Testament, family. But we, we apply it to verse. It's one of my life verses. The Bible says that Abraham worked his way and it approved God and, and was received before God. No. It says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. They looked forward through the prophecies just like you and I looked through the eyes of the New Testament back at the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, according to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, would be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says that he would be born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. Psalms chapter 22, uh, King David describes this graphic crucifixion. Keep in mind that the book of Psalms was written 700 years before Christ. Crucifixion was not even, uh, uh, it was not even used. It, had, it hadn't even been created when the book of Psalms was written. The, the crucifixion wasn't, it was created by the Persians in 300 B.C., perfected by the Romans, but 400 years before the process of crucifixion was, was, was developed, it was prophesied that he would be crucified. His suffering, Jesus' suffering, you can study his suffering, and it gives us more detail of his suffering in Isaiah chapter 50 and Isaiah chapter 53. And so th this was just fulfilling prophecy. You know, even if we didn't have the New Testament, we could put Jesus, on, we could put almost his entire life ministry, we could pull it out of the Old Testament. Now, we might not have it all in order. Thankfully, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that gives it all in order. But it's all there. You just have to go and, and research it and find it. So he's fulfilling prophecy, the, the reason for the cult. The ne second reason I present to you is Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a cult to reveal his mission. To reveal his mission. Bring back up Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. 
Look right in the middle where it says behold. Right there in the middle. In the middle, this reveals the mission. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just having salvation. Jesus is coming to this world. He's coming close to man. He's bringing salvation. Jesus came into this world to, to save us. He, Jesus came into this world to, um, to offer us a personal saving relationship with him. That's why he came into this world. Not to establish religion or creeds or traditions, but he came into this world so he could reveal himself to you and so that you and I can have a relationship with him through the grace of God so that we could experience his grace and his mercy versus his wrath and his judgment. But the people here, they fail to see it. They, they fail to see the mission. And my encouragement to you guys, my challenge to you guys, and anybody watching online, is don't make the same mistake. Don't make the same mistake. If Christ is knocking on your heart, if you feel him drawing you, man, open your heart. Let him in. If he's calling you to a ministry, and you feel like, man, I feel like the Lord's leading me here, let him lead you. Let him guide you. Don't make the same mistake. Don't make the same mistake that they did. So that's why he came with the cult, to fulfill prophecy and to reveal his mission of salvation. He came to save sinners. Verse 36, look at verse 36 through 38. It says, And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was, excuse me, then as he was now drawing near, the descent to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had been saying. Here it is. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and on glory in the highest. I don't know about you, man, but I love those words. I love those words. They're words of encouragement. They're, they're words that, that are speaking of the prophecy of the coming Messiah. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what were these people expecting? What were they expecting? It says they cried out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you go to the other gospel accounts, they're shouting out, Hosanna, which in Hebrew means save us now. Very good. It be, that, that word means save us now. And they even spread their coats and they, they laid their palm branches. Now this sounds very celebratory. And I love it. I'm sure it was a beautiful scene. But family, as, as celebratory as, as this seems, they were worldly minded. They were worldly minded. They were not wanting the salvation for their souls what they were looking for was freedom from the tyranny of Rome and all they could see was the physical and not the spiritual you know we gotta have spiritual eyes we gotta have spiritual eyes we gotta open our hearts open our minds to God's word and to the Holy Spirit and have spiritual minds Okay, don't, don't fall into the trap 
of just thinking carnally, thinking in the physical realm, but see things through God's eyes, through, through spiritual eyes. They wanted a warrior king on a white stallion. Jesus was the carpenter on a donkey. They wanted freedom from the tyranny of Rome. He was freedom from the bondage of sin. They wanted a prophet. He was the fulfillment of the prophets. They wanted an earthly ruler. They wanted, they wanted somebody to liberate them from Rome. They wanted an earthly ruler, a weak, puny, earthly ruler that's going to die one day, and the kingdom's going to fade away. And they had deity in their presence. They had the eternal God, the creator of all the galaxies of the entire universe in their presence, and they missed out. You see, the need for the salvation of our soul, the need for the salvation of your soul, the need for the salvation of my soul is a million, trillion, quatillion, I can't think of any higher number, more times important than any physical need that we have in this life, okay? The spiritual is always first. And we pray for the physical, and we want the physical, and we want the healing, and we want the provision, and we want God to take care of our family and provide for us a home and provide for us a job, and, and we want him to do all those great things, and he does. But you can't place the physical before the spiritual, okay? Because then it becomes idolatry. We have to place him first and treasure him as the king and lord of our souls and of our hearts. Question for you this morning, a little application here. Why did you come to Christ? <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. Why did, why did, what did you come to Christ for? Was it to improve your life? Or was it for salvation? My hope, it was because you understood you were a sinner and you found this amazing salvation and the power of the cross. And you're like, man, I'm free. I'm free. I've, I've been forgiven. It's all under the blood. I'm completely cleansed. The quad million trillion times that, that David has lived in all this sinful rebellion, it's all forgiven. It's all washed away. If that was the only thing that God ever did for me, I will step into eternity a very happy man. Okay? I'll be, I'll, I'll be happy because of the power of the cross. Now, does God take care of our physical needs? Yes. Yes, he will take care of your physical needs. He will provide for you a home. He will provide for employment. He will take care of your family. I do believe in physical healing. I do believe that he takes care of his children in this life. The physical things do are important. Yes, but the matters of the heart and salvation always come first. Have you beheld Christ crucified? Have you come to him with nothing in your hand? Lord, I, I bring nothing. I have nothing. All I bring to you is my sin and my rebellion. And I come to your cross and I humbly ask you to forgive me and wash me and cleanse me. That's where it begins, at the foot of the cross. When we repent, turn from our sin, we trust in Christ and we say, Lord Jesus, you're everything. And then everything else that happens in life, all the physical blessings, the healing, the job, the promotion, the car, the college, all the other things he blesses us with, they're just added benefits. 
and we praise the Lord and we're thankful for those things and we're thankful that he takes care of you know when someone goes in the hospital and is healed or or whatever physical what other physical provision providing for us this building whatever physical thing he does is beautiful and wonderful and we rejoice and his physical provision, but we always remember the spiritual is the most important, and they didn't have that right on that day. They didn't have it right. Let's continue, verse 39. Look, look at verse 39 and 40. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? The stones will immediately cry out what's what's jesus saying there what he's saying there is this everything in creation worships jesus everything in creation worships god me and my brother-in-law and my son and ren we went out fishing friday and we tore them stripers up man we brought in some monsters if you don't believe me just go look on my facebook page i got a picture of it (laughs) but uh I, I will never forget, it, uh, me, all four of us were out there fishing. It was, at the end of the day, it was about 7.30, and the sun was starting to set. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the glow of the, of, the, um, of the sun was coming over the tree line, and it was creating this cascading light that was coming through the trees, coming straight at us, and shooting across the water. It was so beautiful. I think Ren made a comment about it or Ren or Daniel, one of them, they made a comment about, wow, look at that, that's really cool. We were like, yeah, that is the beauty of the Lord. That is the beauty of the Lord. Psalms chapter 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night unto night they display knowledge. There's no language, there's no voice where their voice is not heard. So next time you look at creation and you see the beautiful sunset or you're going across the Lake Murray Dam, which I love to do, and right at sunset, have you ever seen the, the, the sun will be setting right on Lake Murray? You'll just see half of, half of the sun. And it just creates this glistening purplish orange that just shoots across the lake. It's so beautiful. Next time you see that, just say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for a reminder of your beauty and your majesty because it all it all worships him that's what's going on here if if i i tell you that if these should keep silent the people keep silent the stones would immediately cry out we are surrounded by the evidence of god paul said in romans chapter one for since the creation of the world god's invisible qualities eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen so all men are without excuse it's like it's a beautiful display you know, we call it day and night, and, I, and I, I'm down with that. But actually, nighttime is kind of like, I like to be scientific. And it's the, the earth is orbiting. The earth is orbiting the sun. And nighttime is actually when the earth turns and all of us get a front row view of the universe. So you're actually looking out into the dark, black universe, seeing the planets and the stars and every night just go out on your back porch and look at the stars and God is saying to us through Psalms chapter 19 I made all this it declares my glory it sings my praises all creation does hey I think we should join in with creation and let's worship the creator who is forever praised 
That's what he's saying here. Now, question for you. If you look at the captions of your Bible in this chapter, uh, most likely it says triumphal entry. Does it not? Does most everybody say triumphal entry? So I want to pose a question to you now as we go into this final portion of Scripture. Was it a triumphal entry? Was this a triumphal entry? That's what our, the, 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 the text doesn't say that, but the, the people who put the Bible together and gave it the little caption headings, they, they put triumphal entry. As mine says, triumphal entry. But was it a triumphal entry? Was it a triumphal entry? Let's look and see what the scripture actually says. Look at verse 41. Now as he drew near Jesus, he saw the city and he wept. He wept over it. You know, this picture needs to be fixed in our minds when we consider the triumphal entry and Jesus going into Jerusalem. This is not a triumphal entry. This, this is a tear-filled entry. It says, it says right there in my, my Bible, verse 41, Jesus wept. He wept. He showed emotion. I love that about Jesus, by the way. I love these texts that talk about Jesus wept, Jesus thirst, Jesus lived his life. Because that tells me that our Lord and Savior, he lived the same life that we live in the natural realm. He felt the same pressures that we feel in this life. He's already, he already lived through this life. And we, we just get to follow him in, 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 in his footsteps. But he experienced the natural human life. But it was a tear-filled entry. Why was it a tear-filled entry? Because they failed to recognize who he was. Let me just say this. It breaks the heart of God when people fail to see who Jesus is. They were so close. They were so close. So close, these people that day. But they did not behold him. You know, hopefully, there after Pentecost, there in Jerusalem, as after Jesus rose from the grave, our hope and prayer is that many of these were like, ding dong he's risen from the dead and they put their trust in him but at this point they didn't behold him friends and family listen to me clearly there is no joy in heaven when people reject god there is no joy in heaven when people reject god i do not believe in double predestination that people these group are elected to heaven and these group are, are elected to hell I do not believe that as John Calvin taught it because the scripture makes it very clear. God is willing that none should perish. Salvation is available to all men if they will put their trust in Christ. Scripture to back it up. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11. Say to them as I live says the Lord God. Here it is. God says it not me. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? God has no delight when people reject him. He, he, he gives all men the opportunity to turn to him. Another verse, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, says, Look to me and be saved. What's the next word? All. 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 All you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Who's, the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord 
will be saved. That is his plan. Is that not enough? Let's go to the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing, not wishing for what? What's the word? Any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That is the heart of the Father, that all men, all women, bow their knee in repentance and faith in Christ. And it's a free gift of, his, of salvation for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord and put their trust in Jesus. It's a free gift. There's absolutely nothing you can do. You bring nothing to the table but a, but, but a dark heart and you walk away with a clean heart from being born again and trusting in Christ. Don't run. Don't pass. Run to his grace and find forgiveness and freedom. That is the heart of God. That is the heart of the Lord. That people acknowledge him, trust in him, and live their lives for him. Let's look at the final verses this morning. And then we have a special presentation from a missionary after I preach. Verse 42 through 40. Let's read verses 42 through 44, the final part of our text here. It says, saying, if you had known even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you, here it is, here's the reason. Verse 44, end of it. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. It was a missed opportunity. And what this text here is referring to is in 70 AD, Titus and the Romans, they reject, they, they reject Christ, they crucify him. And in 70 AD, Titus and the Romans come in and they, they level Jerusalem and, and they bring destruction. The Jerusalem and the nation of Israel was not a nation for almost 2,000 years. Judgment came to them, and that's what Jesus is referring to. And this is well after biblical, the doctrines, and this was well after biblical history within the confines of the New Testament, 70 AD that took place. So here's what I close with. If you're listening, and you're listening online, is will Jesus weep? Will Jesus weep over you because you fail to believe and trust in him? Will he weep? Or will all heaven rejoice? Will all heaven rejoice because you give your life to Jesus? That's the difference between the tears and the joy is sinners turn to Christ and, and they give their life to him. When, when will we see he is everything we need? And I'm not, not only for people who aren't Christian, but I'm talking to even us believers. You know, our hearts, we got to find our contentment in this life, in Christ, in Christ alone. There's other things that bring us joy, our relationships, our families, our hobbies, our jobs. But we need to find our supreme contentment, our heart's contentment in 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be like these people on this first Palm Sunday that we just read. They had hard hearts and they were foolish. Hopefully they repented with the revival that's going to soon take place there in the book of Acts. But today, open your heart to him, worship him, and then worship him, Hosanna, he's come to you, he's revealed himself to you, and live your life for him. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you greatly, family. Christians, he loves you. The world, he loves you. He displayed that love for you at the cross. You know, when I, I, I was giving a little illustration yesterday, whenever our, um, our kids, I think about Emily and Daniel, when they, when they were little kids, they'd come to me, Mommy, Daddy, how much do you love me? We'd always look at them and say, I love you this much. Give them a little smile and stretch our arms out, displaying our love for them. You know, God stretched out his arms on a cross 2,000 years ago. And he says to each and every one of you guys and to the world, I love the world this much that I'll stretch out my arms and I'll, I'll die on the cross to be the propitiation, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. First John chapter 2, verse 2. He, he, he's made it away. So let's walk in that truth and let's walk in that love and let's put our hope and put our confidence in him and live our lives for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this triumphal entry. And um, we uh, pray, God, that today that we'll understand that this was a tear-filled entry, Lord, because it was tearful for you because the people failed to recognize who you were in in your coming. Lord, help us not to be the same. But Lord, help us to open our hearts, open our hearts to you fully, live our lives for you, receive you as our Lord and Savior, and, and worship you all the days of our life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for grace. We thank you for truth. We thank you for mercy. Let that touch our hearts today. In Jesus' mighty name I pray.